Why most talk about building a culture is usually directionless lip service. Plus, responding to an employee who constantly argues and complains. We're getting after it now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and Nacho's super fan, Joe Mall. Hello again, Boss Heroes. Thank you for joining us. This show is your show. We gather to help you navigate the many challenges of leading people at work. Whether those challenges are frustrating, ambiguous, or never-ending, we endeavor to be your weekly dose of advice, humor, and encouragement. If you think having a show like this one is important, then please take a moment to rate the podcast, leave us a review, and share episodes with others online. I am joined, as I usually am, by my fabulous co-host, professional coach, Alyssa Mullet. Hello, Alyssa. Hey, yeah. Hello. And can I just second that we love our fans and we would really, really, really love to hear from them. Like nothing makes doing this thing. I mean, outside of the natural joy that is you and I together, but nothing makes it sweeter than hearing from people about what really you know, set their mind on fire or got their wheels churning or what kind of impact a strategy or a camaraderie question of the week had with their teams. That's the juicy stuff that makes it really worthwhile. Or if you think we are absolutely bananas, if you're like that thing you talked about is total bunk and I completely disagree with you. We, I mean, I would get such a thrill out of that too, just because to spark a reaction is terrific. And you know what else I would love to know, Alyssa? I would love to know where and how people are listening. Do you listen while taking your dog for a walk in the morning? I listen to the new episode every Sunday morning and I walk my dog. Um, yeah. just to, to have it in my ear for that week. And, uh, and yes, I know that might sound weird that I do the show, but then I listen to the show and it, it, <laughs> you actually hear it in different ways. Um, or do you listen, like, are you commuting back to work? Are you running on a treadmill? Are you listening to it at lunch? Are you streaming it while you cook dinner? Uh, I'm just curious, like, where are you listening, boss heroes? We'd love to know. You can, uh, email the show bossbetternow at gmail.com. You can tweet me at joemall77. That's also my Instagram, at joemall77. Or if you're watching this video, you can drop a comment in the box below and we'll see it. Yes. And that's how I view what I am able to consume of our show because I can only take so much of my own voice. (laughs) So I do it in consumable bites. But whenever the episode drops on YouTube, that's where I view it. So So you watch it on video. I do. I do. Okay. I got to torture myself for the full experience. <laughs> nobody likes hearing the, their recorded voice and nobody likes watching themselves on video. So I don't I don't think you're alone in that. I, I give you credit for yeah. doing it. <laughs> it's, you know, here to torture myself and others. Thanks for True. listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the intro, you noted me as a nacho super fan. And I have to tell you something that I learned recently. Um, so nachos and cheese are my favorite snack. Um, it, that's like a go-to thing for me if I'm really feeling okay. munchy. And I, when I was doing keto last year and just con- continuing to try to eat healthy, I rarely do it. Uh, I am a nacho super fan. But what I learned recently is that I'm not saying it properly. Uh, I, I have a friend who told me that when I say nachos so, – so what I mean when my favorite snack is is tortilla chips and nacho cheese together. Yes. And a friend of mine told me nachos is a different thing. He said, 
nachos is the chips and the cheese and the guac and the pico and the chicken and the um, cheese and the sour cream and all of it. It's like the big dressed up thing. Okay. And I mean, I am here for that too. I'm like, yes, please to all of it. But in our house, if I say to my wife, hey, do you want some nachos? Like we don't think about the whole concoction. Right. Where do right. you land on that? I feel like maybe you'll settle an argument. Where Where do you land? Well, I guess I, for sake of ease, consider it all nachos. I mean, I feel like what your friend described with all the things is like nachos supreme, right? Thank you. And- <laughs> Are you listening, but Joe again- and Bethany? Just pay attention to what's happening right now because it means I was right. <laughs> oh, so there we go. That's right. why that was in that whole piece. I mean, you could have right. gone the other way, but you completely agreed with me. And yes, it's like if I say, do you want some nachos? I don't think that automatically means and every imaginable topping that comes with it. And since they're not here to debate, we're just going to declare me as right and move on. <laughs> wait, so wait a minute. What do your uh, now former friends <laughs> declare <laughs> declare as the other thing with just the cheese and the chips. What do chips they think that is? They say it's chips, chips and, and cheese. cheese. Like if I just want chips oh. and cheese, I have to clarify it as being only the two pieces of what otherwise would be involved in a larger something they call nachos. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm making various <laughs> hand gestures on the video here to like <laughs> demonstrate the size and scope of this. So if you've never checked out the YouTube version of our show, maybe maybe stop by and see me wildly gesticulating about my favorite Mexican snack. And we've spent enough time on that, don't you, <laughs> don't you think? Agreed. Okay. Well, I want to start today with mail time. We got a question from Cindy in Michigan, and uh, I'm going to read you what she sent over because I think it's fodder for an interesting conversation. Here we go. Hi, Joe and Alyssa. We have an employee who pushes back with almost every directive, guidance, or task asked of her. When we recently changed our hours of operation, she came back with an alternate suggestion of hours that gave her a three-day weekend. After asking for a raise and new salary structure, which we granted, she said all the work we did to figure out the new numbers was flawed, and she insisted on a bigger raise. After introducing a new process critical to operations, she ignored the instructions and spent two weeks telling everyone it wouldn't work. We dread dealing with her, and I know we should, quote, pull the weeds, but she's our only technician, and she's good at her actual job. How much is too much to deal with when it comes to someone who sucks up all the workplace happiness? Mm-hmm. That's Cindy in Michigan. Wow. I have so much to say. Where do you <laughs> want to start? Well, I'll I'll be short and simple then, hopefully. So my my first thing was, okay, this seems like an engaged person, maybe overly engaged, right? Um because they've got constant feedback going on. The thing that clinched it at the end for me was Cindy saying she's the only person in that role, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I I to me I wonder how much that other person, that individual in knows that they are the only person. Um right. how much is of that is 
you need me more than I need you in their in terms of dictating their commitment in the workplace, yes. right? To what degree does someone recognizing how disposable they are influence the degree to which they regulate their behavior? Great point. That's right. Okay. My second thing is the last line is how how does she say it? Something about allowing the overall happiness. Yeah. How much is too much to deal with when it comes to someone who sucks up all the workplace happiness? Right. And she also mentions about that she's good at her actual job. But I would argue how much of your actual job, her actual job includes making other people not unhappy. If you infect the entire team, you know, that we've gotten to that the whole age old one bad apple mm -hmm. upsetting the whole cart. This is the this is like the exact definition of that to me is that her actual job does include not yes. defecting, infecting the entire team with her unhappiness. You went where I was going to go first, which is okay. that there's kind of a uh, there's a bug in the matrix. There's a glitch. There's a flaw in the thinking here, which is, but she's good at her actual job. And we do this thing in our minds as leaders sometimes where we say, I've got a, a really good employee who does blank. She, he or she's really, really good. They, they never call off and they're super reliable and they're our, our, you know, our customers really like him or her. But – and then you hear about all the ways in which they engage in behavior that does harm. And, and the pushback there has to be then, no, you don't have a good employee. She is not good at her actual job. This person – is reliable at a couple of things she's asked to do. Right. But appears potentially to be lacking a whole other set of skills and instincts that are crucial to being a great employee. And 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 we have I'm sure Cindy has people on her team who are great employees and they're the total package. And so we're not going to besmirch them by lumping this person in with them and saying, oh, well, she's good too. No, she's not. There's a pattern here of behavior that is doing harm. And when you use a phrase like sucks up all the workplace happiness, you're talking about an impact on culture and the experience yep. that people have every day. And, and actually, that's a perfect little tease to what we're going to talk about in a few minutes uh, relative to culture. Uh, but, but let's talk about the, the behaviors too which is this constant pushback and questioning mm -hmm. and arguing, um, which as a, as, as a set of behaviors alone, I, I don't have a problem with that as a leader. If I have an employee who says, hey, I think there's a better way to do this, or hey, I really mm -hmm. want to question why this decision was made, or, you know, I appreciate that you did this for me, but I would have been happier if you did this for me. At a foundational level, that doesn't bother me if the person is not demonstrating a pattern of behavior that sucks the workplace happiness out, right? Right. If, if, if we have folks who, who come to work and they want a voice and they want their bosses to solicit their ideas and their opinions and they want to have some influence over their work environment, that's good. That's important. And that's what we should be doing as bosses. We should be mining our people for those things because at a psychological level, people need to have influence and have some choice over how they spend most of their waking hours. Mm 
And so sometimes when we see employees doing these things, it's because bosses aren't asking. It's because mm-hmm. the organization isn't invested. They're, they're treating employees as uh, worker bees, and it's a command and control environment, and it's show up and shut up and don't think and just do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the case here for Cindy and her team, especially because she says, you know, we, we've she asked for the new salary, and we tried to, to make these accommodations for her. When you have someone who constantly argues and complains in spite of your efforts to get their feedback and input. Well, now you're being victimized by some traits that are probably out of your control. And she used the analogy of pull the weeds, which I've talked about in my books and keynotes, which is that once someone demonstrates to you who they are, believe them and act Mm -hmm. accordingly. And if you have a weed in your garden, somebody for whom no amount of nurturing and support and fertilizer and oxygen will convert them into a flower – because yeah. weeds don't transform into thriving flowers, then we got to pull the weed. Yep. You know, this whole concept of pulling weeds and, you know, is it engagement versus um, the behavior in which it's infecting uh, the rest of the team? I think that that is the crux of where the majority of our great leaders really struggle. Like, is it me trying to being too um, attuned to the fact that this person is constantly coming at me with feedback or Mm -hmm. engagement? Or can I objectively say that the behaviors that they are exhibiting outside of the recognized ways in which we have talked about feedback being beneficial to our relationship and to the team environment. Is there a objective evidence that they are acting outside of those mechanisms of improved uh, engagement? Uh, and feedback. Those are the hard questions to try to go, okay, can I remove myself enough from the feeling of nothing will ever be enough for this person Mm -hmm. to say objectively, they are infecting the rest of the team and affecting the ability of the entire team or a good portion of the team to have happiness, to enjoy coming to the workplace, to not have to continually uh, defend why they are doing something or how they're acting uh, in accordance with whatever new changes, that kind of thing. And and at the heart of what you're getting at, I think, is, is that the leader needs to respond with curiosity mm-hmm. and to differentiate between incidents and and a pattern. And so let me talk mm-hmm. about both of those for a second. So when someone argues or pushes back or says, I don't like this, you know, the first response by really emotionally intelligent leaders is curiosity. Hey, what's that about? I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not going to feel like they're disrespecting my authority because as soon as you get caught up in that cycle, there's a no-win situation for everybody. But if you can just... Be kind of compassionately curious and say, huh, 
what's that about? Let me let me try to talk to this person and understand like where are you coming from on this and mm-hmm. and you know some of the coaching stuff that we've talked about here and really helping people explore that is useful in those moments. And when incidents occur, that's probably the best response. Mm-hmm. But when you start to notice a pattern of behavior, then we have to evaluate whether or not this is something for us to be curious about and it's fixable, or is this something we need to ask for a change around? And if the person demonstrates that they can't change, then what are our options? So if I've got an employee for whom this is a pattern, you use the phrase like nothing is ever good enough. Mm-hmm, uh, you know, and, the, mm-hmm. and the other pattern here, and Cindy named this, is we dread dealing with her. That That's her language. All right. So we have a pattern. And there is a belief now amongst leadership that this is how this person is wired. And we can still bring curiosity to that, right? We can still sit across from that person and say, hey, I've noticed this pattern, for example, for example, for example. Yeah. I'm not I, – I, I'm not scolding you. I'm genuinely curious and I want to ask you this question are you happy here? Because mm-hmm. I'm seeing this pattern and it's making me wonder if your needs aren't being met how, and it's not something we can overcome because like the schedule is not going to change the way you want it and the pay isn't going to change that you want the way you want it and we're going to have to do this new operational process that you don't think is going to work. Like none of the stuff you're unhappy about is going to swing in the direction you want it to. So right. are you happy here? And that conversation goes in a whole different direction. The other kind of conversation that I think bosses could have in this situation is about style. Hmm. And what do you mean? if I have an employee who every time they see something they don't agree with, they make a stink, hmm. I may want to coach that person on picking their battles a little bit and saying, hey, you know what? I, I get it. But if you make a stink about everything you don't like, you're the boy who cried wolf. And then when something okay. really comes up that is a total violation for you that you really want to be heard on, everyone's going to dismiss you because mm-hmm. all you do is complain. And we're so used to those complaints that now they've been tuned out. We all got to pick our spots. And I, and, and I want you to keep the dialogue open with me. Um, but it, it's kind of human nature that the, the, you know, when, when somebody whispers, you lean in. Because you want to hear what they have to say. But if somebody's constantly shouting, it eventually just becomes noise. I think that's another angle you can take with someone like this. Wow. Wow, that was powerful. That like, and somebody whispers that you want to lean in. But whenever someone's constantly shouting, you tune them out. That's like, I think of. And and here's where I think we can put our superpowers (laughs) together, though, right? Because I come at it from like, here's what I want to say as the boss, but you're the coach. And so what's the question or series of questions I ask this person to have them gain that insight for themselves rather than me just giving it to them? Because if they can land on that themselves, that we've we've supercharged the effectiveness of the insight. Well, I think that the whole series goes to what we're the common theme of, of raising self-awareness. Right. Mm -hmm. And so while that can take lots of different shapes and forms, I think starting with the question that you brought up, which is, are you happy here? Right. And then some questions about, okay, following up to that is what does happiness look like to you? Mm -hmm. What does fulfillment 
feel like to you. So we're going to get into some ushy, squishy gray, because a lot of what I have found is in this area of never enoughness, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, in our personal lives or our professional lives, we don't name what the end goal or feeling or enoughness is. We just think that once we get there, then we'll know. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that rarely ever happens because it will never be enough, even for yourself, if you yeah. don't define it. So if we see a pattern of behavior that what's really going on with this person is a never-ending inability to be satisfied. Right. Or, or what we might see as satisfaction, but that they perceive as problems, problems, problems. I'm, right. I'm probably not articulating that as well as I would like. I'll go back and listen to this and say, oh, I should have said that. But, but this idea that um, there, is, there is never a state of – it's always a state of discontentment. Right. For the person. Right. Be because we, they have not been able to articulate, name, and or describe the feeling that is satisfaction, mm -hmm. contentment, ease in the workplace. What does that look like for them? Uh, what kind of money are they making? Is it a number? Is that mm -hmm. what the pursuit is after? Is it a, uh, a, a certain type of manager that they're looking to be led by, or maybe they're looking to lead and you are, you and your processes and your, you know, uh, changes and operating hours are all considered obstacles to this undiscerned, uh, ideal. Yeah. Ideal yeah. That, that they haven't communicated even for themselves. So questions that help frame that in for them can start to actually bring self-awareness to how close they maybe already are, or maybe mm -hmm. they're not yep. to that ideal. Yep. And I think it's important for our boss heroes to understand that your job isn't to fix people. I think when, when you have someone who maybe has this constant state of discontentment, if, if they're coming into the workplace with their own neuroses, their own issues, th their own challenges outside of work that are then influencing their level of engagement or satisfaction or happiness at work, and then they're taking it out on the workplace. Um, that isn't something that you're, you're really going to be able to overcome. And and when leaders address this, you know, balancing the need to solicit ideas and opinions and and to be flexible and to try to meet people with where they are. With also being able to communicate that, hey, nope, sorry, we can't do it that way, and this is the way it's going to have to continue. If you as a leader are not able to overcome the discontentment, it's not a failure of leadership. Mm -hmm. But allowing someone to remain and continue to do harm is. And so we have to have the conversation uh, around, you've got two, two choices left, which is commit anyway and start thinking about how how we need to to change your style and your tone to be successful here, mm -hmm. or move on. And whatever you pick, I'm going to try my darndest to help you be successful. But the mm -hmm. time has come to make that choice because we can't continue as we have. 
I hope that you got lots of gems out of that Sunday because I know I sure did. And I'm not even in your shoes right now. So our sincerest best wishes to you and your entire team. And and this is another great example of where I'd love to hear from readers or from listeners, because I think that there are probably a lot of other scripts and angles. And so many folks who are listening to this right now are dealing with this problem right now or have in the past and maybe have ideas or language or tactics or strategy that they've used uh, that have worked and have not. And so if, if you're listening and you want to tell us a little bit about that, then drop a comment in the box below the video or send us an email at bossbetternow at gmail.com uh, or hit us up on social media. I'm at JoeMull77 on Twitter and Instagram. And that brings us to the camaraderie question of the week. Bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why here on our show every week we give you a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. Alyssa, our question this week, what is something that makes your job challenging that most people never see? <laughs> if you could see inside my brain, uh, when I'm in a coaching session, if somehow it was like transparent, you would see the hamster in there running a million miles a minute going, oh, this one time this happened to me and blah, 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 blah. And this one time, oh, yes, I know how that feels. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you a story about the time I got over that. And da, da, da. All of these things go on in my brain and I have to <laughs> shut it all off yeah. and stop and hold only the space for the client, what serves mm-hmm. the client. That is my sole job. And so I've had the biggest challenge <laughs> that the client hopefully cannot see. Sometimes I own up to it and I'm like, all right, I need about five seconds to quiet the hamster in my brain. Yeah. Before I'm able to articulate the question that I want to make sure has the ability to propel them forward. So I have to silence my own self and unpack that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably the biggest challenge. But I think that's probably a challenge in, in for a lot of leaders. Of my, yeah, yeah, in any of my conversations. The the podcast is the only time where I can just be like blah 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 let the hamster, you know, out of its wheel and cage and it just goes wild. But yeah. Otherwise, yeah, that's it. I'm having a hard time answering this question, Uh, and I don't know if it's in part because I just feel so lucky to get to do the work that I like to do mostly on my own terms. Um, Mm -hmm. There are are minor annoyances and headaches and bumps in the road. Um, As a speaker- Naming something feel like ingratitude. It does. That's a great point. Thank you. Yeah. there are some challenges related to, to money, like when you quote people fees for keynoting or for consulting, and um, if, if they've not gone out into the marketplace to see what other people charge, they can come back and say, you want how much to talk for an hour? And you're going, okay, you know, hold on, time out. It's not talking for an hour. It's preparing for two months and bringing 20 years right. of experience and expertise, right? There, and, and, and paying the six employees, and, you know, there's that piece too. Um, yeah. 
Honestly, one of the first things that I thought of when I saw this question is, and this doesn't happen often, but every once in a while, um, I, I will work with an event who insists that my slides need to match their like their conference theme template, or um, they they, they oh, want to change annoying. my slide deck, <laughs> and. You know, when you've spent 20 years trying to figure out how to help people remember things and learn things and be captivated by things, uh, to, to have a 23-year-old intern say, no, we're going we're gonna to put all of our, our uh, crayons and branding on your thing because it's important. Like, you kind of take the deep cleansing breath and say, hey, I'm happy to put that, that slide at the front of my deck, right? And we could but put it at the end no, of the thank deck. You. But I've I've curated this for like I have one keynote I've been doing for four years and it's nowhere near the way it was now than it was when it started four years ago because I've learned how to make it better and better and better and tweak it and I'm customizing it for your audience and n no we're not gonna we're not gonna change that component of yeah. something that is very carefully calibrated to create the result that you hired me to create. Right. And again, right. I don't want to sound ungrateful. I mean, I, you know, any chance to stand in front of an audience is a privilege. Uh, it yeah. absolutely is. And I completely get most of the time when I'm working with somebody who is asking for changes, it's because they've been burned badly by another right. speaker or expert who I, I had an organization recently say, we want you to do a slide deck walkthrough with us. Um, oh, where Lord. you show us every slide before you step on stage. And I think when I first started out a couple of years ago, I'd have been like, what? But now I go, ooh, what happened? Like some, <laughs> clearly something happened. And then, and they yeah. told me, yep, last year we had a speaker who went and found some data about us online and used it in front of our customers and it was out of date and inaccurate. And it was ooh. horrendous. Uh, and so you know what I say? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do the slide deck walkthrough for you because you've been burned and I get it. Let's take a look together. Yeah. So, wow. I don't know. Way to overcome those challenges. <laughs> I like this question for teams because so much about people's jobs goes unseen. You know, we know yeah. people on our teams for the tasks and responsibilities that they have that we notice that we hear about or that we interface with people around. But every day people have hiccups and headaches that we don't see. And so if you pause and ask people, hey, what, what's, the, what's the rough stuff that we don't get to see in the chair that you sit in? You know, m maybe we all learn something about somebody on our team that we can help prevent for them. That's awesome. Great question. Great question. I like it. That's the camaraderie question of the week. All right, Alyssa, we come to another favorite segment of mine. Stop it. And I got to tell you, these days, most of the time, when I hear a senior leader talk about culture, I end up thinking, just stop it. <laughs> You alluded to this in the in the first segment. So tell me what you specifically mean. I did. What's agitating you most? Most of the time, I'm going to I'm going to profess some broad sweeping generalizations here that are not true about everybody. So that's my <laughs> qualifier, my disclaimer. Okay. But I have found them to be true most of the time. And that is when someone is talking about culture, they have no idea what culture is or how to change it. 
they talk about it as a buzzword. And it's it's mm. it's been driving me a little bit crazy in recent years because I'll get on the phone with somebody and say, well, you know, we just we just really need our leaders to get the kind of training they need to drive our culture. And I'll say, okay, tell me about your culture. And it's just word salad that comes out next. It's <laughs> it's buzzword salad. And word salad. I love it. it. And organizations are spending an absurd amount of time and effort and resources to define their culture or change their culture without really doing any of the work necessary to understand culture. There's a ton of great books and resources out there. Uh, Connors and Smith have written a bunch about the the results pyramid and I and, and how, how to influence organizational change that I really like. Um, and uh, the Culture Code is a terrific book uh, out there as well. But here's the thing. I'm not just going to complain about this and say, stop it. I'm actually going to try and give people a, a reframe for this. Okay. The next time a leader in an organization is tempted to talk about their culture, I want to swap that word out with the word experiences. Mm. What are the experiences that take place inside of our organization? What's the, what is the experience of being interviewed? What is the experience of being onboarded? What is the experience of, of, of new hire orientation? What is the experience of working for my boss? What is the experience of getting training? What is the experience of professional development? Of What is the experience of opportunities to get promoted? What is the experience of working with our customers? What is the experience that our customers have? When we answer those questions, we start to get into all of the pieces and parts of culture. That feels tangible. Experiences yes. feel tangible. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's real. And we and we know that if we want to change an aspect of our culture, we first have to drill down to the experiences that people are having so that we can evaluate them as useful, harmful, good, bad, relevant, not relevant. Um, it's, it's a starting point for those conversations. My there's a, a ton of definitions of the word culture out there, but my favorite one. And I, I don't have it in front of me where I saw this. I saw this a couple of years ago. It's always stuck. So forgive me for, for quoting something and not being able to appropriately credit the author. But my favorite definition of culture is how we do things around here. Mm. Right. If you have, are listening to this podcast and you've been on a great team where there's no drama, and as soon as somebody tries to raise drama, somebody else on the team goes, Hey, we're not about that drama. We don't want no, don't do that. You got a problem with somebody, go talk to them. We don't want any of that stuff. We are a no drama shop here. That's just the way things are. Mm -hmm. That's how we do things around here. And that's the culture of their team. Those are the experiences that people have. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if you've been on a lousy team where people pit others against each other and whisper in corners and get caught up in team drama, and I'm a new hire and I walk in, I'm very quickly going to pick up on how we do things around here. Yeah. If the culture of yeah. our front office is that when the phone is ringing off the hook, everybody pitches in and takes every call, that's just the way we do things around here. And how do you get to that? Well, you talk about those experiences and those situations and why it's important. You don't talk about, well, we have a culture of um, pitching in. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, let's communicate the expectations and talk about the experiences everybody should have. And then we drive that in, in small bite-sized pieces rather than talking about culture as this big ambiguous thing. Well, I think your rage was appropriately channeled and because I <laughs> think that swapping 
experiences for the generalized term of culture is so meaningful. Experiences mean something. And if you can center that, that is powerful. And I hope it wasn't too ragey. I hope it's just more like mild irritation. No, that's it's just more me. like, yeah, let's let's just do better. <laughs> can we do better around the word culture? Can we can we find better words? Can we hear ourselves say culture? And just even if we just pause and question, what do I mean by that? Yes. And what are the what are the realistic expectations that I should have about what I'm trying to change or affect? So that it doesn't become this kind of ambiguous thing that everybody's supposed to have stakes in, but nobody knows how to influence. Mm -hmm. That's why I think- Word salad. Word salad. Stop it. Don't use the word salad. (laughs) Well, that's our show this week, folks. We have one request. Do you know a boss hero? We want to hear about those leaders who go to work every day devoted to creating the conditions for people to thrive because we want to spotlight them here on our show, not just to recognize them for the difference they make in the lives of others, but because we can learn from them. We learn and gain skills and insight when we hear about the ways in which the best bosses operate. You can nominate a Boss Hero for recognition on our show by going to bossherostories.com. Fill out the form and tell us about the Boss Hero you're thinking of. If we choose to share their story on our podcast, we're going to celebrate their contribution. They're going to get all the fields. They're going to get all the all the feels. That sounded like fields for a minute. We're not giving away real estate. They're going <laughs> They're going to get all the feels and get some recognition that I'm sure is is deserved and we're going to send you and them some pretty great Boss Hero swag. To nominate a Boss Hero, once again, just go to BossHeroStories.com. That's our show this week. We'll see you next time. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit JoeMall.com today. Hey, Boss Heroes, check it out. One of the phone calls I get most often is the we have one person here who really needs help phone call. The leader on the line tells me about an abrasive executive, a manager not meeting the needs of his or her team, or two physicians who can't overcome conflict. Their question is always the same. Do you have any training I could provide for this person? I have to tell them the uncomfortable truth. Theirs is a problem that training won't fix. The problems these leaders describe require a different solution, coaching. A professional coach helps people explore new ways of thinking and operating while examining the root causes of their own behavior. When someone needs to examine their approach, adjust their style, become more adaptable, clarify goals, or navigate conflict, there's only one coach I recommend, our own Alyssa Mullet. Alyssa is a professional and executive coach who works one-on-one with clients to tackle the issues that live behind closed doors. Experienced, credentialed, and revered by her clients, Alyssa can help you or any leader struggling on your team design a path to achievement and professional success. I've sent Alyssa to clients all over the country, and they rave about her every time, every single time. So if you have that one leader who is struggling, or that one leader is you, 
I strongly encourage you to invest in coaching. For more information on working with Alyssa or to get a quote, visit joemall.com forward slash coaching.